Welcome to the Play Well for Life podcast. Join us as we discuss the lost art of parenting through play and how parents and grandparents can use games to build better relationships with their kids. For more information on how we can help, please visit playwellforlife.com. Hello to all, and welcome to our first Play Well for Life podcast. Today's episode will be a little different from our future ones, as we have the pleasure of welcoming Dr. Sarah Campbell herself, founder and CEO of Play Well for Life. For our first episode, we thought it was important to set the stage for our future installments and explain the issues we wish to highlight and the ways in which we can tackle them. Um, and there is no better suited to do that than the person who started this whole adventure. Sarah, welcome to your own podcast. Thank you, Paul. It's very yeah. odd being welcome to my own podcast, but thank you. <laughs> yes, normally uh, you would be the one conducting these interviews with uh, with uh, interesting uh, speakers and stakeholders in some of the issues that, that uh, Play Well tries to tackle. But this uh, first installment has you uh, in the limelight to explain a little bit about yourself and your company and the aim of this podcast. Yeah. Um, so maybe we, you could start by, uh, by giving us a little brief background and, and history check of yourself uh, and, and what spurred you to, to establish Play Well for Life and, and, and the work it aims to do. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess really it all began, you know, I really struggled with um, mental health issues myself as a, as a young person, as, an, as a young adult. And I think that was... Um, one of the reasons I ultimately moved out of the music industry and the third sector where I was working and into psychology. I mean, I'd wanted to do psychology since I was a very young child, but um, I think that was a sort of driving motivation. So I was working after school, I was working in the music industry and um, both as a performer and, and on the business side. And I think that's really where I saw the value of art and creative sort of media for helping people learn about their feelings, connect with their feelings and things like that. And that definitely, you know, came back as a strong theme later on. And, um, and so, and then I worked in the third sector and the charity sector and sort of became really passionate about how business could do good in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and then following that, I went and trained to be a psychologist and, and I've therefore spent the last 15 years working as a psychologist in well-being and education, um, predominantly with young people. And I think one of the things I really learned is that a lot of the ways, a lot of the traditional ways of, um, you know, delivering well-being intervention and also education just don't really appeal to a lot of young people. Um, and I think technology offers a really exciting potential to reach more people as well in a more effective way. And I think now we live in a technology driven world it's really important that we recognize that it's about engaging young people and engaging people generally in the in the ways and the tools that they're using every day because one of the big barriers to um to people looking after themselves better i guess and and developing new and more effective skills is that a lot of the traditional ways um, those sort of interventions are created require a huge amount of behavior change. So they require people to behave differently and form new habits. And what we know about people is that we find it really, really hard to form new habits and change our behavior because, um, you know, we are, we are creatures of habit. And so I think if, you, if we can look at how, how do people spend their downtime and use those ways to engage them to kind of learn new things and, and learn different ways of doing things, 
that's the most effective way that we can start engaging people to kind of develop skills and behaviors that will ultimately lead to them being happier and healthier. Because a, a lot of this is, is the difference between kind of knowledge and behavioral habits or change. I think uh, you, you mentioned that the, uh, the focus is severely placed on teaching knowledge, uh, dates, facts, um, but a lot less on uh, encouraging people to be adaptable and, and have uh, a behavior that allows them to, to change uh, and adapt and ultimately thrive in the environment that they wish to evolve in. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit more about that distinction? Sure. So um, I think as someone who's uh, basically led a project based and portfolio career for the last 15 years, and that's really the world of work that our young people are moving into increasingly, you know, part of doing project work, consultancy, portfolio careers, it requires you to have a range of transferable skills rather than have expert knowledge in a particular area. And it allows you, it, it forces you to be resilient to change, resilient to uncertainty, adaptable, being able to work with lots of different people in lots of different environments on lots of different issues and, and really creates a sort of creativity and uh, curiosity and, and again, you know, sort of critical thinking and, and, and resilience. And increasingly, those are the skills that people are going to need. So I guess it's come from sort of my firsthand experience, but it's made me really passionate that at the moment, education, whether that's with adults or it's with, you know, young people and children is about focusing on knowledge and giving information and actually how people learn is through experience and through trying things out and reflecting on it and experiencing using those skills and developing them further. So I'm really passionate about creating experiences where people can try out new skills, reflect on them and learn those sort of general skills that enable them to, to respond and function well in lots of different environments. And I think the thing that really is important to me is, you know, we live in a world where we're continuously told what we should and shouldn't do, you know, what is and isn't good for us. And actually, I'm a real believer in informed choice. I think there are there are many paths up the mountain. And I think, um, you know, what I'm passionate about is helping people to see that there are different options and different ways to approach any given situation. And it's about helping people develop the skills that allows them to develop that informed choice and take responsibility for their decisions. It's not about a right way or a wrong way. It's about understanding that you have the autonomy to make a decision and you are accountable for that decision. And I think that sort of as a principle is really important as, and is, um, I see it being less and less valued in, in the society we currently live in. Um, which is also a society where this, as I think you were saying, is, is required more and more just through the change in the workplace, the change in the home, the change in the world of communications, mm. especially if we're struck by a global pandemic, um, which completely alters all of our behaviours and our, our relationships to work. Uh, this sounds like this gap between these skills and how needed they are is a, is a crucial issue. Is, is, is this getting any kind of press or, or increased scrutiny or attention from either governments or, or, uh, or um, education um, research? 
Yeah, so I mean, there's, it's been very well reported in the last few years that there is this, I mean, it's known as the employability skills gap. And it's this idea that actually 60% of the current adult workforce do not have the skills they need. Um, and that that is only going to get worse. I think it's, you know, I think it's 40% of jobs currently will not be available in 10 they just won't exist in 10 years time and so the idea that um, the workforce is changing due to technology and that there is going to be um, a huge skills gap not only is it already here but it's well documented that by 2030 it's going to be a huge issue but I'm yet to see things that are addressing it and my concern is that in as is so often the case, until something is, you know, a crisis in front of us, society tends to be quite reactive. You know, and you can look at one of the reasons that the climate crisis has not been well dealt with is because until it's, you know, actually causing crises on our doorsteps, there's little incentive to respond in that sort of human nature as well. So I think particularly given, you know, the challenges globally, at the moment with the pandemic, I do see this, this skills gap as something that's going to fall through the cracks and we will arrive at a point where, you know, we have workforce that's unskilled. We have, for the current world of work, we will have young people that haven't developed the skills for education, particularly given many will not have been in education for a year or two because of the pandemic. And, you know, it is a crisis looming, um, but because it's looming rather than actively here in front of our noses right now I think it's one that isn't going to get addressed and that's really what Playwell wants to do is I'm a big believer in prevention rather than reacting to problems and so we want to start laying the foundations to help prevent this growing crisis and I think you're right you know what the pandemic has shown us is these skills about adaptability managing uncertainty resilience emotional intelligence all of the skills that we're talking about are the skills that people have been required to draw on in the last 12 months during the pandemic and you know to to varying degrees of of success and ability and and i think the pandemic in all its awfulness offers a real opportunity for organizations and families and and education to to stop and take a look at what is current practice and is are there different ways or alternative ways to do things and i think as as workforces move into what will probably become a, you know, a hybrid remote and in-person working environment, that's a real opportunity. You know, how do you redefine your organizational culture and your ways of practice and being and operating as we move into that? And as education institutions, you know, how, do, how do we recover from this and how do we support children and young people that may have spent a year not, not in school? How do we support them? Are there different ways to educate? So I think that whilst what's happening at the moment is it's awful and there's a big, a big part of it is about getting through for now. I think in the next six, six or 12 months, I'm hoping people start asking the question of, of how do we move out of this into a new way of being and, and what opportunities does that pre present for kind of taking stock and reviewing what been the, the normal ways of operating? You mentioned these uh, th these skills, uh, resilience, adaptability, uh, emotional intelligence, and they all sound like uh, uh, very crucial skills or, or abilities to have, especially in this time of pandemic where we've all had to, to shift our behaviors. But, but how do you concretely develop these 
skills or learn about them or or teach them through through what routines does that work and what can people do um you know in their daily lives to try and and think about these skills or these uh, abilities yeah and i think um part of the problem is these skills are often treated as you know separate skills and actually what one of the things play well for life is trying to do is bring them together into a coherent sort of model because actually they all feed into each other you know if you want to develop emotional intelligence it's about becoming aware of how you feel then learning how to manage how you feel and then learning how to you know interact with others about how they feel and, and and understand that and be empathic and to do that so to develop emotional intelligence you know you need self-reflection you need critical thinking you need perspective taking you need communication skills um you need cooperative problem solving so one of the things we want to do is sort of encourage people to to stop and think about what these skills are why they're useful and there are all sorts of ways you can try developing them but i think the really important thing is they are about practice it is about practicing them you know reading about them is helpful for understanding but it won't really lead to any sort of development of the skill it's about looking for ways to practice them looking for opportunities and de depending on your sort of individual setup and your context that will determine the the ways in which you can practice and develop them um, but you know, there's a, there are lots of things out there, but I think the critical message is it is about practice and then increasingly over time, they become intuitive ways of how you operate. Mm. Um, and that's a sort of personal development journey I had to go on and it has absolutely changed my life. The, um, but what, one of the, I, I can understand that the, uh, one of the specificities of all of these types of skills, um, is as you mentioned, they are very individual. They pertain to each person's environment and analysis and their emotions and their priorities. You know, I think one of the facilities or ease of teaching standard knowledge as we do in schools today is that it is quantifiable. It is the same for everybody. Maths, two plus two is equal four for, for everybody. Uh, whereas teaching somebody how to be emotionally intelligent is really up to, to them. And what that means is really, is really up to them. Um, so how do you harness all of these potentials to try and develop these skills, which are inherently personal and subjective, I guess? Well, and I think that's where um, the experiential learning comes in. So they are sort of personal and objective, but it is um, it is possible to quantify them. It is possible to define them. And as we're doing at Play Well for Life, it's possible to measure them as well. But I think it's about creating opportunities to experience using these skills and increasingly developing them. And then the, the bit that's really important is ensuring that self-reflection happens. So you are reflecting on how you carried out that experience and what you would do differently next time and that's a really important part of the skill development and this is why we're using games because games enable the opportunity to practice things you're embedded in an experience it's immersive it's an activity-based experience we believe that game-based learning offers really exciting potential for developing these types of skills because in an immersive game you can create a set of social based contexts where people need play out and perform these kind of interactions that enable them to develop the skills or not as it may be and i think particularly in terms of assessment and measurement when you give someone a questionnaire 
you've and ask them you know to report on their ability of something that's problematic for a set of reasons firstly people present themselves in the ways they think they need to secondly people have different understanding of the words and different meaning thirdly people have different levels of self-awareness you know so there's a lot of problems with those types of measurement whereas the advantage of using games for measurement is you're actually measuring people's behavior and so that more closely represents what they're doing in their sort of day-to-day -day life. So it, games also are much more useful for measuring these skills than giving someone a questionnaire. I see. Um, I mean, game-based game learning has gotten quite good press uh, recently from, from academia and in just general general press. And I know the, the rise of video games is also a, a big societal topic. Are they good? Are they bad? Uh, and, and there's a lot of debate around them. Um, is that the general kind of application and conversations that you will have uh, on these podcasts with your future guests? Yeah, I think we want to, I, th I think you're right, it is great to see that the top, the conversation is changing away from games are bad to, oh, maybe they're not all bad. And I think for me, game-based learning, you know, the literature around it has been going on for 30, 40 years, but it's not really been applied in a meaningful way. And one of my bugbears, and as I'm sure people will learn over time, is gamification is not game-based learning. And um, I'm not going to go on a rant about that right now, but there is a real difference between those two things. So yeah, like what we want to do in this podcast is really shine a light on, you know, what are the concerns people have, particularly parents, about video games in particular, but games more generally, and discuss, you know, how legitimate those concerns are, and then look at how games can be really useful, actually, to connect people and start conversations and for learning and for education. So we're going to be talking to, um, you know, psychologists, parents, educators, game industry experts, um, researchers, just really to discuss the potential of games um, and, and more widely technology, because I think this game's the same as with technology generally, it's agnostic, you know, it's amoral. It's really how it's applied or how it's used um, by us, the humans, that determines whether it is or isn't problematic. So coming back to this sort of informed choice, you know, the aim of the podcast is, is to help inform people so that they can make better or different choices around um, technology and games in particular in order to help them develop these skills think about how these these sort of transferable skills could be helpful in their lives great well that all sounds fascinating can you maybe give us a, a just a teaser a couple of your games that you or a couple of the the, the games that you that you have that develop these these uh, these these skills just so we help understand and look forward to to playing them hopefully Sure. So currently we have um, Loathsome Lifeforms out there, which is a card game accompanied by a storybook and a parent's guide. And that is for primary age children to help them um, start to think about emotions, expand their emotional literacy, become more emotionally aware. And as with all of our games, um, it comes with a parent's guide to help parents start to have conversations with their children about emotions and their feelings um, to start building that connection and conversation. And um, we've also got in development our Dragons of Afterland series. So that's based on augmented reality, again, to develop these skills. Um, and we've got a really exciting escape room for organizations coming out that will help organizations to get their teams to assess themselves on this range of skills, both individually and with a group. So lots of exciting games coming. 
Uh, great. Wonderful. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we really look forward to hearing the, the next episode. When, when can we get to hear the next, the first episode of uh, your first guest? Sure. So um, our podcast is going to be coming out every Thursday, um, starting on Thursday, the 21st of January. And our first guest um, is a parent who's absolutely fantastic called Margaret, who really exemplifies, you know, how to connect with your kids through games. Great. Well, we'll tune in on the 21st of January to, to hear that. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Sarah. Uh, and uh, best of luck with uh, your future interviews and being on the other side of this microphone. Thanks, Paul. I definitely prefer it on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our products and how to get involved in this podcast, please visit playwellforlife.com.